Welcome to Hacking the Hustle. This is your host, Benjamin Sklar, and today's guest is Michael Handelsman, a partner at Kelman PLLC. How are you doing, Michael? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm very excited to have you on the show today because we met at a conference in New York at the Javits Center, NFT NYC, and you were at your firm's booth. And I learned more from talking to you within a few minutes than arguably (laughs) attending law school. So I was really excited to have you on the show today to talk about securities laws, crypto, NFTs, and what the future holds for investors in the United States. How does that sound? Let's do it. All right. So I'll kick off with are securities tokens trading on the blockchain securities under the SEC, in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, there's so there's obviously there's security tokens and then there's sort of traditional, more traditional crypto tokens. If you're going the security token route, you're going to be a security every time. I mean, it's essentially sort of baked in with those tokens that they're going to go register with the SEC and meet all of their reporting requirements and, and, and the like. Um, traditional cryptocurrencies, um, it, it depends. It's very fact intensive. There are a lot of them out there, as you know. I'm, I think right now, last time I checked on Coin Market Cap, I think there was you know over ten thousand tokens. Um, so I would say a vast majority of them likely uh, meet the elements of the Howey test and would be considered investment contracts and therefore securities. However, there are some out there where they have enough utility in them or enough decentralization in them that that under the current our current understanding of the Howey test, I think it's unlikely that they're securities. So it's it's a mixed bag. And it's, it's as you know, as an attorney, it's it's very fact intensive. Got it. I want to take a step back and talk about how you got into this. How sure. did you become an expert, an expert in this space? Who are you? <laughs> so when before I even started going to law school, I actually started working for a law firm that dealt with, you know, as we call it, TradFi, traditional securities um, they represented broker dealers when they would get in disputes with their customers, and then they would take brokers and fund managers and the like into the SEC for investigations. Um, so they hired me before, you know, I was out of college working for a couple of years. I uh, wasn't really happy with what I was doing. Met a gentleman while I was caddying at a, go- a local golf club, um, and he was a securities attorney. I'd always been sort of interested in the traditional finance world, um, and we got to talking and he said, look, I have this case in front of me right now. It's not going to be fun. I have 10,000 emails. I need someone to go through them. Do you want to come in the office and start working and and help me do the discovery on this case? Um, And I think I started in October. And by the middle of November, I had already decided that I was going to go to law school. Um, So then I went to law school. I worked for them my entire time through law school. Uh, I spent, I think it was eight years with them after law school uh, before I joined Kelman in, I guess it was early 2020. Um, I got into the space sort of personally in late 2016, early 2017. Um, so I guess at this point, I've, I've been in it for a while. Um, it still doesn't doesn't seem like that long. Uh, but for the last three years, my practice has been entirely focused on the intersection of digital assets, securities laws, and then you know some licensing and registration stuff, and then uh, litigation as well, uh, disputes between um, investors in crypto projects or partners in crypto projects. But... I like to say, you know, 95% of the stuff we're doing right now is crypto focused. Um, and then the other 5% are just clients that used to be crypto focused that had other things they needed us to help them. So that's sort of how I got where I am. Nice. Great history. Give us a primer or a breakdown of where we are in history in regards to the evolution of blockchain technology. 
and what oh, the future I'm, holds for us. Yeah, I mean, we're we're so early days. Um, you know, I I know enough at this point to know I'm not great at making predictions on where this market's going. Um, so I, I try to try to avoid that as much as possible. Um, but I mean, I think the possibilities are, you know, I know it sounds a little cliche, but they're just about endless. I mean, every time I meet with a new client and they've come up with some new creative way to either use blockchain or NFTs or, you know, some piece of the technology to either change a change a business that we've all been used to for years or come up with a new business, I'm, I'm always amazed. So, I mean, I think we're very, very early days in the, the crypto and blockchain universe, so to speak. Um, but as far as what's to come, I mean, if you know, let me know. Um, and, and I think if you can figure that out, you could probably make a lot of money in this in this area. As a lawyer myself, I've learned that most lawyers have no idea what's going on <laughs> when it comes to crypto and how securities laws apply to them. So please educate us, lawyers. What do we need to know? So in the when it comes to sort of the application of the traditional securities laws, right, it's it's kind of round peg square hole a little bit or square peg round hole. I'm not sure which way that that uh, saying goes, um, but we're trying to use a test that's basically was established almost 80 years ago uh, when forget cryptocurrencies, computers themselves were barely, you know, could be conceived of. Um, and we're trying to apply this super old test to this new technology. Um, so when I like to, when I'm analyzing a cryptocurrency or a token project to try to figure out if it's a security, I really just try to break the test down to its barest bones, right? It's the first element is an investment of money. The second element is in a common enterprise. The third element, sometimes the third and fourth element are one, but the third element is an expectation of profits. And then the fourth element is from the efforts of others um, and or the profits are derived from the efforts of others. So I think to take a step back and sort of just as an attorney, right, you, we're forced to, you know, use analogies and try to, you know, make case law that's not specifically on point fit to a, a fact pattern that we're facing. And I don't think it's any different in the crypto space. Um, I think once you sort of become familiar with the how we test the elements, how they've been applied by the Supreme Court and some districts, you sort of get a, get a good picture of what's the most likely outcome. The truth is, we don't really know. Um, right. The SEC has been unwilling to sort of say how they think these rules apply. Congress has been unwilling to make sort of guidelines or set rules for us. And the courts, the way it works is everybody settles. So we don't get a court decision on crypto cases very often. So we're just sort of left in limbo. So a lot of it is just sort of saying, hey, this is how it's applied in the past. And yeah, your NFTs might be, you know, uh, tickets for concerts, you know, now, but here's how a case relating to somebody who was doing a ticket businessing in the past might have worked. And this is why we either think it is or isn't a security, just as an example off the top of my head. Um, so yeah, I think it's I think it's it's similar to other areas of the law. You just sort of need to be flexible. You need to be um you need to think creatively and you sort of need to be able to to make comparisons between things that on their face don't necessarily look the same. If someone who wanted to start a crypto company or a token sale had challenges and issues and couldn't figure out how to get it off the ground, what advice would you give them? Well, I mean, it depends on what's sort of holding them back. If it's a, if it's a legal thing, right? I mean, unfortunately, right, we're a US-based law firm. I'm, I'm in New York. My partner, Dan, although he lives in Taiwan, is a New York attorney as well, Daniel Kelman. Um, and unfortunately, the first piece of advice we give most people is get out of the United States and don't offer your tokens to anyone in the US because it's just so unclear. Um, but I think 
I think good advice for people is focus on the product itself, right? Don't worry about the money. Don't worry about selling out investments. Don't worry about finding VCs or, you know, funding beyond what you need to sort of do your project. Focus on your project, deliver a good product that works, and uh, it, it will be, um, you'll be ahead of the game uh, when compared to most uh, tokens. I don't know how much you've been paying attention to sort of the popularity of meme coins lately, but I mean, people are, you know, spinning up tokens in a matter of seconds slapping a silly name on them, selling a million dollars worth of them, and then just rugging and disappearing and stealing everyone's money. So there's a lot of sort of that going on where people are, you know, making big promises and, and you know, they can't possibly deliver. So I think if you're, if you want to be a project that sort of stands out, focus on getting your product together, focus on the ideas first, and then worry about the money and sort of going big later. Um, I think a lot of our, the clients that we've had that are most successful, that's sort of how they operate, right? They're, they're, they let the other people handle, you know, the legal side of it, the accounting side of it. And in some cases, they hire people to find money for them. And essentially, they're just coding, working, trying to get the product to where it needs to be to deliver the promise that they've made to sort of the community as a whole. What do you think is the common thread amongst the successful projects? What do they all have in common? Well, I mean, self-servingly, I mean, I think a lot of the, the long-term ones that are going to succeed are going to have a good plan from the outset as to how they're going to deal with legal aspects, how they're going to deal with compliance if it applies to them, how they're going to deal with um, accounting and, and that sort of uh, thing. Uh, but I think I think the token projects that are the most successful are ones that are, the token isn't the reason for the token, right? There's token projects where I've seen where the whole purpose of the token project is to sell the token to make money. And then there's other projects where the purpose of the token is because it serves a purpose in that company's ecosystem, right? It does something. It's providing a benefit. It's allowing access. It's it's some it ties into a brand or something that's already you know in existence. For example, it's it's sort of you know an easy one to pick. But exchange tokens, right? When you when an exchange releases a token, there's clear benefits from the to the token holders from having that, whether it's cheaper. Um, commission rates or access to markets early or launch pads or whatever it might be. There's there's something above and beyond. A lot of the projects that do poorly, you can tell early on that really what they're concerned with is how much money can I make selling this token? And that's never going to be the, the right way to start or the right way to sort of focus. What are the different players in the ecosystem that we need to know about? Yeah, I mean, as far as individual companies, there, there's there's a ton. But as far as players go, there's market makers, right, who work with exchanges to sort of provide liquidity so that, you know, trading is when you sell, you know, one Bitcoin, the price doesn't drop, you know, through the floor. Um, so there's market makers, there's exchanges, there's wallet providers, there's token projects, there's payment processors, Um Trying to think if there's any there's in, in some cases there's there's governments who need help with you know statutory language or things like that but that's sort of those are sort of you know so i guess they would be policy making kind of um so i'd say those are sort of the players in the space and then as far as each one goes there's there's a, a bunch of each um but I, I think those are sort of like general baskets you can put the players in is sort of market makers exchanges wallets token projects um and some others if you could speak with SEC Commissioner Gary Gensler, what would you want to talk to him about? What would be your issue with him? So I, I've i been of the opinion for quite some time that this is exactly the, the status quo we have right now is exactly what the SEC wants, right? They like this sort of um, universe where they can bring cases. There's no sort of case law to constrain them. 
There's no rules to sort of constrain them and there's no laws from Congress to restrain them. So they can sort of pick and choose targets as they want. They take them you know, to court. They usually get a settlement out of them um, and then they can start all over again. Um, so my preference, if I could talk to Gary and, and you know, I'm sure it wouldn't make much of a difference, uh, but my preference or my point would be get, we need some rules. Right. And like there is there's a lot of money on the sideline in this industry that could be very good for the U.S. economy and other reasons. And they need to be free. They need to be and, and not necessarily free to do whatever they want, but they need to be free to follow rules and actually use this technology to, you know, to, as, as it's designed. Um, and while I think the current sort of structure, how we test, the way they're doing it is not necessarily the right way. I also don't think there should be no rules and it should be a complete free-for-all. Um, having spent, like I said, you know, nearly a decade in the traditional finance world, if you pull the reins off of, of the traditional finance world, there would be wreckage throughout, right? I've seen some pretty horrible cases with people, you know, Ponzi schemes, stealing money from their clients, all that stuff. And that's in a fully regulated um, area of the law already. Um, so you can only imagine how bad crypto is right now with basically no regulations in a lot of the world. So I think there are some guidelines and rails that are needed. Um, but I, I don't think trying to apply, a, like I said, a near 80 year old test to this brand new technology is the way to go. What would be some rules that you would recommend? Um, well, I think disclosure is always good when it comes to investor protection. I think that's one thing that I would focus on. Um, I'm less concerned with uh, registration and reporting requirements and, and the sort of stuff that traditional IPO publicly traded companies have to deal with. But some level of disclosure, whether it's private placement memorandums or some selling document needs to be accompanied with these token sales so that people have you know, um, a contract or some terms of agreement that they can go to and try to enforce in the future. I think a big problem with the crypto space now is you know, people throw together hyper-technical white papers that don't really describe what they're going to do as a business. It talks about this new great technology and how they're going to make all this money, but it doesn't really make any sort of real promises to the token holders about, you know, for example, if you start a real estate, you know, investment trust, you have to say, we're going to buy this kind of real estate. We're going to make money by renting it out. You know, you have to be very clear about what it is you're going to do and what it is you're not going to do. And I think that would go a long way in the crypto space to sort of, the more information I think for investors, the better. Um, so, so I think disclosure would be one thing that I'd focus on, I think. Have you considered starting your own crypto company? Uh, as far as like a token project or something? Yeah. What is, what is a token project? So a token project would be any sort of project or business that decides, Hey, we want to sell tokens through either an ICO or some other form of, or an IDO or any IEO or any of the other sort of ways that you can sell tokens. But essentially when I use the word token project, it's just anyone issuing a token to the public for sale. So it could be a wallet, it could be an exchange, it could be an NFT auction house, it could be you know anyone who's trying to sell a token to the public. And you as a securities lawyer, how are you positioning yourself in the marketplace to try and get clients in this space? So a lot of it is, luckily my partner, Daniel Kelman, who I mentioned before, he's been in the space since I think he bought his first Bitcoin in like 2013. So he's been around for a long time. He has a lot of connections in the space. So a lot of our business is sort of generated from clients either that Daniel's had in the past or people he's worked with or, you know, people he knows. And then a lot of it um, is the the conferences. They're a great way to meet people, a great way to, to network. Um, you know, we always find, you know, in, in most cases, we found pretty good success attending conferences. It's very sort of hyper-focused on exactly who our clients are. Um, since we're crypto focused only, right? When we go to a crypto conference, everyone in the room is a potential client. 
Um, so that's those have been very fruitful. Um, we also have our website, Kelman.law, where we you know have some blogs and we have a, a, a map, sort of interactive map that helps people sort of get a hand on where money transmission licensing is state by state um, and stuff like that. So the website drives a lot of the business. But I think right now um, it's, you know, other than sort of our connections and who we know in the space, I think a lot of it is the conferences. And is it because of the booth or do you not need the booth and you just need to be in the room? So I've done both, right? I've done it without a booth, booth and I've done it with a booth. Um, I think it's it's harder when you don't have a booth. You got to be a really good salesman, right? You got to be able to walk up to someone and cold sell them whether they're interested in it or not. Um, whereas if you have a booth, it's just sort of a steady stream of people who are coming up to talk to you because, you know, the, the words Kelman Law Digital Asset Council on the wall has attracted them in some way or another. So it's a little bit easier of an interaction when you have the booth. Um, but yeah, no, I certainly know people who go to conferences and and stand on the other side of the booth, as we like to say, and, and do a great job and find business. Um, so, yeah, it's sort of what works best for you. Um, you know, I like to think I'm a pretty good salesman, but I'm not the greatest salesman in the world. So for me, it's a little better to have people sort of approaching me with ideas and things they want to talk about as, as opposed to me walking up to a random project and saying, you know, you need a lawyer. Um, so I think it works it works better on, on, you know, when you have a booth, but yeah, you can certainly do it either way. I think. What's the typical problem that an entrepreneur has when they approach you and engage so, you? Yeah. So for us, it's sort of, it, there's like sort of three avenues it goes down. Um, when the markets are good, it's people who are, Hey, I have this idea. I want to sell a token. Is it a security? Help me structure this. So I'm not going to get in trouble legally. How do I go about doing this? So I'm on the right side of the law. Um, that's sort of one avenue. Um, another avenue is, Hey, we run a crypto related business where most often it has to do with money transmission. Am I a money transmitter in any or all States? Do I have to register with FinCEN? What are my compliance AML, you know, anti-money laundering, know your customer obligations in order to run my business, help me sort of go through that licensing process and figure out what I need. Um, and then the last one is when the markets are bad, there's a lot of people fighting. Right. So when projects, you know, when the prices go down and projects, you know, turn to crap, for lack of a better word, um, you know, investors, partners, they start to fight. Um, and it's, you know, I gave you 100 Bitcoin five years ago. You still haven't given me my token. You know, what the heck is going on? Let's figure this out. And then it ends up, you know, in litigation or, or dispute. Um, so I'd say those are sort of the three biggest problems we deal with on a, on a regular basis. And which one are you dealing with most now? Most right now, there's a lot of litigation sort of held over from 2022. 2022 was a tough year uh, for the crypto space with a lot of the bankruptcies that were happening and companies that were going out. We have some clients who are creditors in some of those bankruptcies, some clients who are um, sort of adverse, not creditors to, to uh, parties in those bankruptcies. And then, you know, like I sort of explained before, hey, I sent you 500 ETH or you know, 50 Bitcoin or whatever it was five years ago, where's my tokens? Um, so a lot of it is is sort of, unfortunately, right? I thought when I left my previous job, I have less litigation in my life, but it seems like after 2022, there's there's a lot of litigation out there, a lot of people fighting. What do you foresee for 2023-24? So I think the second half of 23, I'm, I'm, I'm always optimistic about the space, right? I, there's very few times in my life where you can ask me about crypto and I would have told you that I'm bearish on it. I'm, I'm generally always bullish on the markets. I think the people involved in this space are resourceful, smart, and creative. Um, and I think that um, I expect, and you know, when it's going to happen or how big it's going to be that I can't tell you, but I feel like as we move to the second half of this year and early next year, 
things are going to start to turn around. And as we approach another happening of Bitcoin mining rewards, um, sort of like has been clockwork since it started, I expect some sort of a pump in the market. Um, now, when it's going to come, how big it's going to be, how long it's going to last, um, that's sort of a, a, a different question. But yeah, I'm, I'm at least for now, I'm pretty much, you know, always bullish on the space and, and the future. I think we've only sort of scratched the surface on what these this technology can do. Um, and I can't wait to see what people who are a lot smarter than me figure out what to do with it. Do you think in the future, token issuers are going to need to file registration statements with the SEC, like an S1 or an F1? So I, to, think, mm -hmm. I think the most likely outcome and the one that makes the most sense probably is a new sort of thing, right? Not a traditional S1, not, you know, whatever, uh, a Reg D um, exemption filing, not that sort of stuff, but maybe something similar to that, but focused on crypto, where the regulators come up with the type of information that they feel is important to the public in a crypto project, right? And then include those sorts of things in the um, disclosure, whatever that disclosure may be. So whether it's the number of tokens, emission schedules, buyback rates, you know, uh, business plans, whatever they end up requiring, I think it's going to be some new sort of um, submission, and that and that sort of makes sense, right? It's it's hard to they're not they're not reg s's, they're not reg d's, they're not traditional IPOs, right? There's some sort of combination of all three of those things, and I think they need to be treated differently than them. I think they need their sort of their own category. So for me, I foresee eventually um, some sort of new thing, whatever it might be, however that filing might take shape. A few more questions. Yeah. What are you most excited about? when it comes to crypto yeah so i'm it's hard it's hard to say i mean i've been fascinated with nfts and sort of what they can do for a while now i think there's a lot of real world applications when if it comes from you know whether you're talking about gaming or whether you're talking about um you know studio production movies films tv shows that sort of stuff whether you're talking about ticketing brand growth i think there's a lot of opportunities to sort of for traditional companies to make the move to crypto by offering some sort of creative and fun NFT project to their early sort of established user base. So I'm sort of interested to see how that goes. Like for me, I sort of like a company like Ticketmaster, I can't imagine that in five years from now, all of your tickets aren't some sort of NFT on some sort of, whether it's a public blockchain or a private blockchain, but the technology just sort of lends itself to that sort of a business, you know, perfectly um, that, that I'm interested to see how, NFTs sort of get adopted by mainstream companies. And if they do, right, I could be wrong and they could, could you know, think they're totally valueless and, and baseball cards or whatever and, and move on. But um, I think there are a lot of applications for, for, for those types of businesses in the future. And I'm, I'm interested to see how that sort of blossoms. I'm interested to see what's the, what's the topic at NFT NYC 24. Um, so I, I think that's probably the thing I'm most excited about, or at least looking forward to seeing what happens the most. What's your advice to new lawyers who are interested in this space? Go to as many meetups and conferences and things that you can. Shake as many people's hands. Talk to as many people as you can. One thing I've learned about people in the crypto business is, or the crypto space rather, they are very open and very friendly. Um, there are a lot of, some of the biggest people you, you know, people, when they join the space, they sort of learn of these big folks on Twitter. They're, they're very accessible. If you're nice, if you're respectful, if you reach out to them, they, they usually are responsive. Um, so, you know, the, but I think that's the biggest thing is you got to make a network. Um, you know, it's kind of cliche and sort of goes with all businesses. You know, it's not sort of uh, 
you know, limited to being a lawyer in the crypto space. But the more people you know in the space, the better off you can be. The easiest way to meet people is, like I said, go to local meetups that are crypto focused or Bitcoin focused. And then the conferences, they're they're expensive, but um, I, I think they're worth they're worth it. If you're trying to meet people, you're trying to you know broaden your connections. That's a, it's a good way to do it, especially as a lawyer. I mean, if you're a barred lawyer, right, you can hang a shingle anywhere you want. So if you go meet enough people at a conference, next thing you know, you've got a roster of clients and, and you have a bit of a law firm. So um, you know, go meet people, go shake hands, and uh, that, I think that's that's probably the most important thing. And what's your advice for an, a budding entrepreneur who's about to start a company? And- who's going to eventually issue a token talk to your lawyer <laughs> so nice. that would be my that would be my advice um you can't imagine how many people have come to us and they'll be like oh well we you know we raised like 10 million dollars on a token sale we did it like 6 months ago we want to know if it's a security now and you know you basically have to turn to them and say well guys it's too late even if it is a security there's not anything you can do about it you've already rung the bell right you should have talked to me a year ago um and there are a lot of projects who you know they they the move fast and break things sort of adage of the, the I guess, the the aughts, right? The 2000s. It, it doesn't work in the crypto space. You end up getting yourself in a lot of trouble. And no matter how, how successful your project is or how much money you make, if the SEC comes knocking or the government comes knocking, it's not really going to matter. Um, and a perfect example is the current Ripple case right there. The government seeking, I think it's $1.4 billion in disgorgement from them. So, I mean, if they would have, you know, with with forethought, right, they could have probably avoided all of this. Um, and so to me, it's it's talk to your lawyer. They're expensive. They're a pain in the butt, but they will keep you out of jail and they will most likely keep you out of uh, the crosshairs of, of the SEC. And for a business that's sort of skirting the line of not a security, maybe a security, um, I think it's 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 even more important than in a traditional business sense. So I, that would be my one piece of advice to a budding entrepreneur is, Take care of your legal and your compliance stuff early. Love that. All right, last question, my signature question. If there was one thing you could do to improve this world, what would you do and why? Wow, um, that's a great question. Uh, I think I would get everyone to listen a little more. I don't think people listen to each other enough. Um, they they pretend to listen, right? But I think they're more worried about what's the next thing that's going to come out of their mouth as opposed to listening to the person across from them um, and if you're not really listening, it's impossible to understand. Um, and I think that's a lot of what's missing in today's world, both, you know, socially, politically, um, just like all over the place is, is there not enough listening and understanding going on and too much sort of talking past each other. So I think if there's one thing I could change in the world is a little more listening, a little more understanding. Amazing talking to you, Michael. I really appreciate you sharing your knowledge with us. I'd love to have you on again. Yeah. I, I can tell you know more about this stuff than most. So I like to, I like, I, I say, I like to pretend I do at least. Awesome. All right, Michael, have a great right, day. Thank you. You too. See ya.